Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Ago when we recorded this, it's the season premiere of season. Nope, I what fuck words? I got it. We're fine. We're doing it live. <laughs> live from a week ago, it's season four of Shared History. Silly rabbit, history's for kids. History knows no age limits, Cass. No, and you know what? History. I feel like some people think that. History is a little too unsavory to teach children. And you know what? It is. And maybe we should teach them that anyway. Because if you don't want to teach unsavory history, don't make unsavory history. Make it sweet. A little sweet, a little salty. <laughs> Speaking of sweet, uh, I got the idea for this tag because I was talking to one of my friends and I was like, we do tagline openers and I need to come up with some more. And so we were doing cereal brands. <laughs> like the only brands we could think of were cereal brands. And he was trying to think of tricks. He's like, oh, what is it? It's like, it's like something like, uh, you stupid idiot, tricks are for kids or something like that. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And so I wanted to initially just say, you stupid idiot, history is for kids. But would have been alarming for me. I would have loved it. <laughs> What's great about that is that, so we're, this is, welcome. Welcome to season four. This is our season four premiere. I Did I say finale earlier? I don't, I honestly couldn't tell you. Um. <laughs> It's confusing because we've already courted half of our season. Yup. Uh, we, Cass and I have been busy, busy, busy prepping the season for you, but we've had wonderful, very eager, very excited and delightful guests who just scheduling wise, it just worked out that like the first six weeks of recording for this season got, got scooped up, scooped up by guests. Um, and it's funny that you have a serial intro because I, a week ago, messaged Cass and because we were very dangerous, we were dangerously close to having more guests than originally anticipated <laughs> and more guests than we usually do in a season. And I was like, we're very close to having season four. Oops, all guests, <laughs> which, you know, is a serial reference. So if we had an all serial season, Oops, but we what, don't. Wait, because what serial reference is that? Oops, all berries. It's oh, a berries. I was yeah. not a berry cereal kid. But it's 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 Captain Crunch. I know. Oh, I love Captain Crunch. I was kind of a plain Jane, which is weird. I would like regular, regular Captain Crunch, Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios, or Frosted Cheerios are very good. Um, I just kind of like regular Fruit Loops. I hated anything with those fake marsh styrofoam marshmallows mm -hmm. that would just disintegrate in your mouth, but still be kind of like. I wasn't about it. Mm -mm. And see, I'm an 80-year-old woman, mm -hmm. so my favorite cereals, even as a child, were Cracklin' Oat Bran. I love shredded wheat. To be fair, I prefer frosted mini wheats. Mm. But Cracklin' Oat Bran and uh, Raisin Nut Bran are my jam. I've gotten really into Raisin Bran um, because I had really bad cholesterol because I am a 65-year-old man, and so I ate a lot of Raisin Bran. A lot of Cheerios because it promotes heart health, but a lot of grape nuts growing up. Do you remember those? 
It's I just, do remember They're just nuts. like little like brown pellets. It's Yeah, it's basically gerbil food. <laughs> it is. This has been shared cereal <laughs> history with Cass and Nat. It's not oh, about boy. that. It's not about that. Gang, it's we decided not. um since we're some we're some women in present, uh, and since this episode will be coming out during Women's History Month. The tail end of it. Tail end of it. That we're going to do some some kind of badass ladies from history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a ladies night. That was the only thing decided before the episode. So we have not decided who was going to go first. So we had a coin toss. Natalie threw the coin further. So she will be mm-hmm. going first. <laughs> I got quite an arm on me. <laughs> so I have brought a story for you for ladies night. I brought a story that the person has lady in their name. No, this is not the story of a lovable cocker spaniel (laughs) who who falls in love with a with a scampy tramp of a of a stray of a stray mutt. All right, I'm out. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Spoiler. This is a story of. It's got all of my favorite ingredients. We have a woman warrior. We have a rebellion. We have history that is far enough in the past that it's really difficult to actually corroborate any of the information. And so there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of contradictory stories depending on which narrative I'm going from. Cool, 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 so, cool, cool, cool. We're bringing awareness, love, maybe not hard facts. <laughs> right. Yes. I love a history that you very clearly could be like, Natalie, you made that up. And I'm like, honestly, I can't say I didn't because it seems like some history. It's all made up. seems like somebody made it up. That's a tag for next episode. History. It's all made up. I'm taking us to Vietnam for a little bit of tasty lady history. That sounds, you know, I don't like it. I don't like it. Some tasty lady history. No. A little little history morsel for the ladies, if you will. So some fun, some, some fun contexty stuff. Um, apparently women resisting foreign domination is super, super standard part of the course in, especially in Vietnamese history. It's actually, it's another topic that's on my list of topics to cover are the stories is the story of the, and I, I looked up pronunciations. So I, I hope, uh, the, of the Trung sisters, who were two are two sisters who are also badass lady warriors um who are basically credited with the like existence of Vietnam as a nation today after Say what they now? led yeah like modern modern Vietnam slash Vietnam just as its own independent nation uh, historians and scholars basically say that Vietnam as a nation today may not have existed had it not been for the Trung sisters because they re- they led the first national uprising against the Chinese in, ooh, I think, like 40 AD CE. And that became um, very, very popular to do, just rising up against the Chinese after that. Yes. It <laughs> happened a lot in a lot of places, but also just like a lot in Vietnam. Because um, China just kept being like, no, it's ours. And they were like, mm, but, like but we're not, though. <laughs> uh, so the, the trend starts... Trend starts uh, in in 40 AD, so maybe my topic today was inspired by them. Though she is listed in a few sources as a Vietnamese Joan of Arc, which heavy sigh for European gaze and the fact that she was doing this hundreds, 
of years, thousands of years? I think over a thousand years before Joan of Arc. I'm sorry, so, when you said heavy... European gays. Yep, oh. I was like, what do European homosexuals have to do with this? This story is Everything. very in-depth. It is far-reaching. We are challenging gender norms and sexuality and rebellion, but no, that's... I mean, maybe, but yeah. The Europeans hadn't quite made it to China or Vietnam in 40 CE. Uh, or when our story begins, which is uh, like 200 years later. I'm So I'm going to try and tell you about Lady Zhu because, you know, it's difficult to corroborate from point of view to point of view. Uh, who knows? Everything's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> um, so a little history background. I mentioned the Trung sisters leading a rebellion against the Chinese 200 years. This is 200 years before Zhu is even born. Despite. Despite that momentous history, Vietnam is still under Chinese rule when our story begins. Over this whole expanse of time, the Vietnamese are not exactly thrilled about the Chinese domination or their campaigns to assimilate the natives of, sorry, their, in their words, to civilize the natives of Vietnam. Okay. And so there's a lot of rebellions that are organized during this time, one of which being led by by our by our lady or all she's also sometimes referred to as Ba Tru. Uh first and foremost, her name was probably not Lady Zhu. Some sources <laughs> so like first things first, we don't even know her name. The asterisks <laughs> are starting early. Yes. Early and often. Allegedly early and often. Some sources refer to her as, as I said earlier, Zhu Ti Chin, but her name her name has been lost to history for the most part. So Timeline-wise, we're roughly around 225 CE. None of my sources necessarily totally agreed about timing. And I'm going to be honest, I was reading like five different sources and they would each say different years sometimes and nothing made sense. <laughs> so I think we're around 225 CE. Our, our, our heroine, our future heroine is born to a wealthy family in a small vill village in Vietnam, probably a pretty pretty cozy household until her parents died when she was a toddler oh no she is taken in and raised by an elder brother and his wife who is then later called like her basically a wicked stepmother oh, or like no. a wicked like a a wicked um like a wicked sister-in-law so fast forward to teenage shoe we're like 19 20 ish years old so late 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 teens early 20s Maybe it's roughly 248-ish CE? Wait, wait, didn't we start at 40? No, no, no. The Trung sisters Trung were si 40. Sorry, we're... I'm sorry. I'm getting my badass ladies confused. There's just so many. <laughs> so we're mm. maybe roughly 248-ish CE. Vietnam is under the rule of the Eastern Wu Dynasty of China. And probably in an effort to circumvent further rebellion or just because, you know, they like woke up and felt like one, like felt like it one day, the the Wu decide to purge the local rulers of Vietnam, of Vietnam, which is the Vietnamese dynasty, which would have been like the, the Xi dynasty. And so the Chinese go on a rampage, kill more than 10,000 Vietnamese. Meanwhile, Zhu has grown up like acutely aware of her people's oppression and she is not here for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. According to an early 20th century book, A Brief of History of Vietnam, she is also not here for her sister-in-law. <laughs> I'm, I'm against the Chinese 
civilization and, and my sister my sister-in-law <laughs> so in every source it's just like who she kills she kills her sister-in-law and then it's just and then they we just don't talk about it like some sources are like she goes to the mountains no reason and other sources are like she kills her sister and her abusive sister-in-law and then runs off to the mountains and i'm like these are two very different narratives <laughs> I mean, she's in One the mountains is, either way, but very important. Yeah, thing that we're the, missing the means. The means to the end it seems seems important, but apparently we don't care about that. We're in the mountains. In the mountains, she gathers a band of like over a thousand followers, who who rally around her. Her brother follows her to the mountains, not to be like, "Excuse me, you killed my wife." <laughs> But apparently to just be like, yo, sis, maybe chill. Like, rebelling is dangerous. I don't know. Maybe get married or something instead. Oh, I bet and, you love and, that. Yeah. Well, this is why I was like, oh, I'm so excited for this story. This is what she is quoted as saying to him. I have this quote th- three different ways because sources. But I will read the... I'm trying to figure out which one is the most badass way. Whatever. I'll read. I'll read the three different ways they all kind of roughly they have the same uh broad strokes quote i only want to ride the wind and walk the waves slay the big whales of the eastern sea clean up frontiers and save the people from drowning why should i imitate others bow my head stoop over to be a slave why resign myself to menial housework or she says I want to ride the storm, tread the dangerous waves, win back the fatherland, and destroy the yoke of slavery. I don't want to bow my head working as a simple housewife. Or, she says, I'd like to ride storms, kill orcas in the open sea, drive out the aggressors, reconquer the country, undo the ties of serfdom, and never bend my back to be the concubine of whatever man. I'm going to pick door number three. Either way, metal as hell. <laughs> also, also, her like to-do list is really intense. She has <laughs> shit to do. <laughs> Riding the waves is number one. Gonna ride storms. <laughs> I'm gonna ride waves. I'm gonna, I don't know oh, why, but I'm gonna kill orcas. orcas. <laughs> <laughs> they I, they looked at me wrong once, That's so I gotta scary. kill them. They're very dangerous. <laughs> and then I'm gonna smash the patriarchy uh rebel against the oppressors and i why would i why why would i get married and be a housewife i have things to do so i'm, I'm i love that she put that at the energy. end too all this bad yeah. stuff so no i guess that means i'm I, not gonna get married bro yeah um how did that work out for you brother <laughs> your wife is dead your wife oh, is dead. No. I may or may not have had something to do with it. Oh, no. You're welcome. I freed you. Uh, She's starting to free people already. Right? <laughs> hey, the the rebellion starts at home. You gotta you gotta make change at That's home first. That's right there. Hey, Nat, can we make this quick? I have to go check on my sponge. Your sponge? Ugh, you've been binging Bake Off again, haven't you? Four words. Paul Hollywood Soggy Bottom. Okay, well, when you're done with Amateur Hour, the adults will be over here ordering cakes from the pros at ECBG Cake Studio, because they make specialty cakes for all occasions. We're talking custom birthday cakes. We're talking jaw-dropping wedding cake masterpieces. We're talking 
Paul Hollywood just shook my hand. I deserve a cake cakes. ECBG Cake Studio, you said? Yes. And if you insist on trying to perfect your sponge, they also offer online baking classes. So follow at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or visit their website, ecbgstudio.com. So she like she gets this like this band of a thousand followers. Um, there are versions of it. So so okay. Either either way, she says this to her brother, and he joins her rebellion, or he gathers his own army, and then they join forces. It's very confusing from source to source. In some versions, he actually led the original rebellion, but then Lady Zhu is so ferocious and brave that the soldiers all promoted her to their leader, and were like, mm, but. But she, but she though. So, so in in either case, now there's a army in the mountains led by this powerful sibling dynamic. Meanwhile, the Wu King has sent an imperial secretary to the province, basically appointing him essentially governor of the province. And there's like different accounts of this too, where either this happened like before Lady Zhu started fucking shit up or as a reaction to that. But in either case, this inspector comes and he's like, I have, I need, I have an army, but I need more. And he either like bribes Vietnamese folks into like being on his side and fighting against the rebellion. But the sources are like, he calls them to lay down their arms and he uses the people's respect for him. Or another source says he uses his craftiness. <laughs> and then another source is like, he bribes them <laughs> uh, to get them to accept his terms and like kind of join his side or at least stay out of it. But like Lady Zhu is and her company are just still fucking shit up. So the this inspector and his army goes to war with her army and she's... Let me describe, let me paint you a complex picture. Paint me a visual picture in my mind. There's going to be contradictions within the picture. (laughs) She's described as riding into battle on the head of a war elephant. What? Wearing either a yellow tunic or golden armor, depending on the source. I'm okay with either. Yellow makes A yellow tunic. Yellow tunic, a poor man's uh, golden armor. And it's, but she would like adorn her hair with golden hairpins. She wore shoes with curved fronts or luxurious ivory clogs, <laughs> which I, uh, please somebody get me uh, luxurious ivory clogs. Uh, they, they can be Crocs. I won't be. <laughs> but they, like, they're like, she, she's wearing yellow or gold and she's like adorned and, stands out because she wants people to know who they're going to battle with because after a, they the Chinese like underestimate her at first but then it said that she basically like struck fear into the Chinese army with her fierce gaze she's also also, described- also a the visual the visual gaze yes she just also the have, visual she's like gaze. fierce like yes let's go that's her whole <laughs> army I would or I just, would love that fierce gaze she's also described as being over nine feet three meters tall Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. a voice which sounded like a temple bell and having one yard 1.2 ish meters long breasts which she tied behind her back what listen a large part of this and the and the history of this is how much of this was 
exaggerated after the fact or that that the Chinese exaggerated so that it wasn't because the Chinese the like the Chinese at that point are follow like Confucian influence and that's very patriarchal that's very women are weaker Mm -hmm. and so it would be very humiliating that they are being defeated by a 20 year old girl yeah so some of it's probably like it's like how much of this was the like Vietnamese as like holding her up as more legend and more like goddess than human than mortal and how much was like the Chinese being like, oh, no, no, but you don't understand. We weren't defeated by a 20 year old girl. We right. were defeated by this, by a nine foot tall, bellowy voiced woman with, with long breasts. Like David and Goliath. Goliath was not like probably actually a giant. He was just a big old guy. Sorry, Bible. Because Vietnam, at least before be- Vietnam, like before <clears throat> it was heavily influenced by Chinese domination or like dominion was more matriarchal and there was more gender parity. So they would have been like, yeah, cool. We'll follow. So it's also like also how much of this changed because of Chinese influence in Vietnam. So Vietnamese historians are writing their own history, but now they're writing it from a perspective, from a more patriarchal Confucian perspective. Yeah. Also like, all I can think of is, do your boobs hang low? Do they wobble to and bro? Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? Can you throw them over your shoulder? Yes, you could. Yes, like a Vietnamese warrior. Heck I can. yes. We've been singing the song wrong this whole time. That song got whitewashed. That song got whitewashed. Also, that got, that's I love the by idea. Continental soldier. <laughs> I love the idea of... Um, I mean, I know people have done this forever. Like the Celts painted their bodies blue and ran into battle naked and, you know, having adorned armor and everything. But I just love that this is probably a, you know, not it's an army. It's a bunch of guys. They're probably smelly. They're probably just, you know, like, yeah, we're wearing army armor. And she's like, I, everyone look at me. Putting I a am big, a golden god. <laughs> golden goddess. Putting a big old target on her, but being like, I don't care. I can take it. Yeah. It's also said that That's she was very like intimidating. drop dead gorgeous also. Mm-hmm. Because we have to completely romanticize the hell out of this person. Mm-hmm. And they have to be larger than life. Mm-hmm. Because God forbid a 20 year old. Uh, God forbid a 20 something year old woman fights back the Wu army. Defeating them more than 30 times in battle. Over five to six months Jesus. before finally being defeated. So some every woman say, in history, they've always got to be pretty. They've always got to have one mm-hmm. meter long breasts. Like, oh, when will it end? The expectations <laughs> that we have to fulfill. Body image, I'm telling you. It's I honestly, honestly, I'm all, I'm all, I, I respect Lady Shoe, but she is setting some unrealistic expectations. <laughs> Like, I can't, I can't, nor do I want 1.2 meter long breasts. Like, I just, I can't. It's the description of it. (laughs) Anyway, she kicks some serious ass. One source said that the, suggested that the inspector whose army, the governor whose army she's like battling a lot of this time was only sent to the province in the first place because the emperor was like, felt like he was being humiliated by uh, Xu's rebellion. 
Some sources say that she died in battle. Others have her fleeing to a commune and then later committing suicide, which parallels to the the, uh, Trung sisters also commit suicide. They, I think, uh, jump in a river. But like I said, like, the sources are all over the place. And perhaps most notably, there are no, there are Chinese sources from the time that mention a rebellion Mm -hmm. in Vietnam. They do not mention that that rebellion was led by a woman, though... Like I said earlier, that's pro- scholars and historians are like, yeah, probably because China adhered to patriarchal beliefs, which yeah. would have made recording defeat at the hands of a female warrior. You gonna make yourself untenable. look good in the history books, and if you think being beat by a woman makes it look bad, you ain't gonna say it's a woman. You ain't gonna, you're gonna leave that out just a little bit. But yeah, I just like loved. I just really liked her story, and she in Vietnamese culture, like since then, she basically raised to like goddess status like i said like they basically made her an immortal it was easier it was maybe easier for them to continue to celebrate her military prowess if she was determined to like be basically superhuman mm-hmm. um she would have been 23 i believe <clears throat> when uh when she died and she there's a tomb and a temple that i think i want to say that like like the Vietnamese ruler at that time, or maybe just after that time, commissioned for her. And uh, also, she's a. The, there's. I don't know why there's a character in Watchmen named Lady True, but there is. So that's that's the lady that I'm bringing to Ladies' Night. What a lady! She's gonna outdress you and make you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> But also, she's going to tell you that you kick ass and make you feel good about yourself. While she's riding on the head of a war elephant. Mm-hmm. Let's she's never like that, underestimate that. She's that friend who you're like, I don't want to go out with you because you are like too attractive and like too perfect. But also, you are my biggest cheerleader and you make me feel invincible. Mm-hmm. So it's really being pulled in two directions. Yeah. Much yeah. like Lady Shoes meter long. <laughs> um, that was so cool. I love that. I just I just love like women military history. Mm-hmm. It's just so it's so cool to me, and I think it's because there there is a lot of it and it's either not talked about or, like in this case, it's not written down because either A, people don't want to look like... Fragile masculinity. Fragile masculinity or, you know, they, they alter it. Usually the fragile masculinity thing. Uh, but, like, think about how many, think about how many, like, badass, like, warrior women, uh, like, we've talked about on this podcast or, like, women in war. And I feel like all of them have been basically, like... Mystified, like been mystified. Mystified? That's not the word that I want. Mythologized? Yes, thank you. (laughs) They've been like mythologized Mm -hmm. uh, while they were alive or like posthumously. Yeah. Well, and especially if we're talking about 248 CE ish, give or take 50 Mm -hmm. or 100 CEs, um, with A, how little we know about that time and little information we can have, you know hard facts, whatever, anywhere in the world. And the whole like patriarchal bullshit. We're not going to talk about women because it makes us look bad or makes us feel bad. The fact that her story survived in any form, legend form, whatever, is just a testament of how like significant she is. Like this is the kind of stuff that gets buried either Mm -hmm. because of time and lack of 
you know, means of recording information or intentionally hiding it, getting rid of it. So the fact that that survived and is still so clearly very important to Vietnamese culture, that's like really fucking impressive. Yeah. Historians basically like draw a straight line from the, the rebellion of the Trung sisters to Lady True to Vietnam, like successfully rebelling and becoming an independent nation, even though it was like hundreds of maybe a thousand plus years after either of their times. Yeah. That it just like, it's another, it was another person to help uh, keep the, keep the fire of rebellion and the fervor for independence alive. Mm -hmm. So, well, it sounds like Lady Zhu crossed a lot of stuff off her bucket list. I I don't know if she, she... but I wanted (laughs) to see her wrestling an orc. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump like super, super modern. And by super, super modern, I mean, I'm glad that I won the coin toss. You did. It works from a, from a chronological perspective. (laughs) Um, by super, super modern, um, I'm talking about someone who's still alive, someone who's still working, someone who's still doing the dang thing. But I'm, I'm allowing it because it's, it's making history and You're it's, allowed to talk about people who are still alive. Yeah, like, exactly. We've done, we've done it before. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell you about Maestra Jessica Bejarano. She created the San Francisco Philharmonic, and she conducts it. It's a community orchestra. Basically, I just like, I have a friend, Heidi Jostin, who I don't know if you know her, Natalie. She does a lot of stuff in, in Chicago comedy and whatnot, but she is a, she's a composer, She's worked with Kerrigan Loudermilk on Broadway. Yeah. Big yeah. Big old swoon. Um, she, uh, get her on the fucking show, Cass. I'm just, it's like I'm introducing a guest. She uh, tr- uh, transposed everything for The Who. They did a big like concert thing where they had a full orchestra and she had to like transcribe everything from like the rock music to the orchestra to all the bullshit. Like she's phenomenal and she's a, a big proponent of women in classical music historically and now and being a transcriber or a composer is really fucking hard and there's so much glass still to be broken in the ceiling so I get super excited about this topic because it's something I didn't really know about until Heidi was talking about it um Jessica Bejarano uh was born or she grew up in Bell Gardens which is just southeast of Los Angeles she was raised by a single mother. It wasn't a super affluent neighborhood. Didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. Uh, her brother came home one day with his trumpet. He had just started middle school band. And she's all like, ooh, shiny. And it says that <laughs> she would, quote unquote, sneak into its case and she would start playing it. And she just like taught herself how to play the trumpet. And casual. she would casual because, you know, historically trumpet is really easy to learn. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, she practiced for a year before she would audition for the middle school band. So she just like beefed up on her trumpet skills, self-taught, all that stuff. She joined the middle school she band. Rolls, she rolls <clears throat> into this middle school band already able to play the instrument, whereas like most of them probably had just rented the instrument. <laughs> yeah. She's like, like just learned what a trumpet was. <laughs> It's me, and I just played that on my trumpet. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you're a history nerd, or even a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. Things like how the Bonnie Prince Charles and his Jacobite uprising was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, or how the pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he had never existed. And we do all of this while drinking and rating a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's topic. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and and corruption. corruption. She was really fucking good at the trumpet, pretty much. Uh, She joined several marching bands in middle school and high school and eventually auditioned for the Troopers, which is like a world-class drum and bugle corps. Like, it's, I don't know, really fucking hard to get into. Mm -hmm. Really good. They said if she committed to two summers, they would help her get a scholarship she played with them. She played at a bunch of different, like, world-class competitive what-what-not stuff. And she ended up getting a full-ride scholarship to Casper College, which is a community, community college in Wyoming. And the she wanted... Community College of Ghosts. Yep. Mm-hmm. A friendly ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was the only corporeal human being, corporeal <laughs> human being, in the, in the whole group. It was just her and Christina Ricci holding it down. <laughs> doing doing their best. Oh, they the core... Because the musical eh? core. Anyway, so she was studying music education and she had to do like practicum, like going to schools and start teaching, you know, get get hands on experience. And this bitch is just badass. So here's a quote from her. Do you have it three different ways? I only have it one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. I would hope that. The, uh, Sucks to have solid sources. For- <laughs> I would hope that this happened, you know, not that long ago. Sources mm-hmm. would be okay. Also, I didn't get an exact um, date of when she was born. I believe she's like 38, 39 right now. It's not polite to reveal anyone's age, but I can't do the math backwards right now in my head. So 38, 39 years born, ago. She was probably born around 1980. CE. Thank you. So yeah, so so she's uh, in college at this point. Uh, she goes, I was working on my degree in music education, and I did residencies where I had to go into a middle school or high school just to get the hands-on experience of working with children. And one of my mentors looked at me and said, how are you going to stand in front of children looking the way you do? At that point, aside from having tattoos, I had 13 pierces on my fa- piercings on my face. She chuckles. I said... It doesn't matter what I look like. I know the material and I know how to educate, motivate, and inspire music in those kids. Atta girl. Also, she she does. She just looks like badass. She she doesn't have all the piercings anymore, I don't I don't think, but she's got like tattoos. She's I'm just sorry, I'm thinking about like you said thirteen piercings. Yes. Without looking up a photo, I'm thinking of like the all the different places, like all the different potential piercings. Yes, and that includes then like lip piercings, and then I'm trying thinking about trying to play a brass instrument uh, <laughs> with a lip piercing. Yeah, and I and I and that's a hurdle for me mentally to get over. Right, it may have been an exaggeration, uh, but yeah. Hey, I trust her though. Uh, 
I, I trust her. Yes. So she, so she transferred to uh, the University of Wyoming on a full scholarship uh, for music education, but she ended up transferring or like switching to conducting, which getting in music, classical music, whatever is, is very difficult to begin with. Conducting, I don't know if y'all know, but there's not a lot of female conductors anywhere, ever. Yeah. Not to mention she was, she's a Mexican-American woman. She is a gay woman. She's got all of the, like, she does not fit the mold. She does not look the way that people wanted their conductors to look. She does not talk like it. She does not act like it. She says, I'm here. I'm good at what I do. And I'm going to do it the way I look. Deal with it. Deal with it. Uh, she talks about how classical education was, or classical music was not a part of her education in a low-income low minority community. She didn't like discover classical music until her first year in college. And she had to fulfill a trumpet like requirements for her college scholarship. So she had to play in ensembles and some of them were like classical music. In an interview when she was being asked about her introduction to classical music and when asked if it was exclusionary to her, she said, yes, I didn't discover classical music until my first year of college. In order to fulfill my scholarship, because I was a trumpet player, I had to play in a few ensembles. I sat in the orchestra, and I remember it was Beethoven's Fifth, Symph- Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, Smetana, the Moldau, and a Vaughn Williams Requiem, just like musical talk. I don't know what it means. And I remember just sitting there blown away. I was like, where did this come from? Where has this been? It was like the music was already ingrained in my body. It just needed to be activated. Which I think is so cool and so kind of disheartening at the same time. It feels like classical music is like, this isn't for you if you're not like white, mm. European, and that like certain people just it think- It feels like out, it feels out of reach. Out of reach. And if you're not educated or whatever, it's like, you won't really understand this. Nah, that's not true. People just aren't exposed to it. And she was yeah. just like felt this connection immediately. And then she said, she said she had this epiphany that she wanted to be a conductor. I, I have all this from an interview from her. And so a lot of quotes. She says, if I had stopped for a minute and been like, okay, let me do some research and look at the history. How many women are in this field? What does it look let like? Let me Google image search conductors and every, <laughs> every icon, every like emoji, every... Every bit of clip art and every <laughs> stock photo and every real photo will show me a white man. <laughs> this is still in the middle of her direct quote, though, where she's like, how many women exist in this country or outside of this country in this field? If I'd done that kind of homework and seen the statistics or lack thereof, I might have been dissuaded and been like, whoa, this is going to be more of a battle than I'm ready for. So she basically said if she had known how difficult it was going to be, she would not have done it. She probably would have been talked out of it before she even started oh, versus yeah. being like, versus then getting to do it. 100%. Like training in it, learning it, yes. learning her own worth and value in the field and then being armed with that going into places and being like, but I'm doing this though. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Which it's interesting because she says like, I, I probably would not be doing this if I had researched at all but she wanted to do it so badly and once she had kind of had this epiphany and committed to it and found the passion for it she says then anytime someone was like no you can't do this it just like fueled her more and more and more 
have you ever seen videos on social media or YouTube or whatever of babies who get their first like like hearing impaired like hard of hearing babies who get their first hearing aids? Yep, I know. And, like exactly the first time about. they like hear their mother's voice. Yeah. When you were describing when you were reading her quote and describing her uh, first exposure to classical music, I was basically picturing that. That's what I was seeing in my head, but like. Not a baby, a grown woman just hearing, like, love for the first time. (laughs) Just, like, tears swelling in her eyes and all that. Just, like, her, like, the widest, biggest, just getting lit the fuck up. Yes. Cass, Cass, they did it. Hmm? Wait, what now? They did it. They, They finally did it. Greatest store in the universe. Who? Raygun, they did it. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh, says who? Says Raygun. Oh, okay, I'll buy it. You know what else you can buy? Clothing, home goods, and time travel supplies at raygunsite.com or at any of their six stores. Exactly. Use promo code SHARIALATER to save on your next order. That's raygunsite.com, promo code SHARIALATER, all one word. What's interesting is... is she started in music education and she ended up going into conducting um, after she graduated from University of Wyoming. She was going to get her her DMA, was it doctorate, master of arts, musical arts. She's going for like her PhD in conducting, which you can get a PhD in just conducting. And she got into, after touring around like Russia and all through Europe conducting for different symphonies and orchestras. She got accepted into a school in South Carolina at the same time, got offered a $2,000 a year job for an orchestra in San Francisco. She says she talked to all of her mentors and all of her friends. She's like, do I go to this prestigious doctorate program for my passion or do I take a $2,000 a year conducting gig in San Francisco? And everyone, I almost want to be like, you got bad friends. They're like, take the $2,000 a year job. But it, it, it worked out. She was like, I was so like happy and passionate. And she was working like two jobs. And she said that the lawn in between one of the like major uh, symphony halls in San Francisco was right next to her job. And she would just sit on the lawn during her lunch, eating her sandwich and just looking at symphony hall and being like, I'm gonna get there. She created the San Francisco Philharmonic, which is a community orchestra, which means it's, it's a varying uh, range of abilities of age. Like anyone can be in this. I mean, I'm sure you have to like try out or something, but she said her emphasis was to diversify it. There's Mm -hmm. a huge, like there's a lot of uh, Latinx people. There's uh, older people. There's younger people. She has one of the first openly trans person in an orchestra in there ever, pretty much that's open and out. And it's just, she's like, it just reflects everything. And yeah, it seems like the only qualifier is is maybe like ability and passion. Exactly. Yeah. And so so she started in music education and switched to conducting, but it's it's so evident that a 
education is her passion and B, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about classical music, about symphony, orchestra, what conductors do. To a lot of people, yeah, to a lot of people, it just looks like they're waving their arms around. And I've watched so many, I realize I love watching videos of conductors. I've done that before. Just like watching either funny ones or it's kind of soothing, but I really just want someone to put like the Harry Potter fight scene music in the background and then just have like magic shooting out of the the baton. I thought you were going to say like, oh, I'd love to see like, like a conductor basically interpreting how they would conduct that or like actually conducting that for like a live orchestra. But you just want to see it basically be a wizarding battle. Oh, I want, yeah, maybe you're one too. You just want, you're just. I do think that I do think because everyone is so different. Like, they're supposed to conduct the orchestra, tell them what to do, when to come in, how to, you know, keeping the beat and time and everything. But everyone does it so differently that I want to know, like, what is standardized and what is personal interpretation? You know, like, when do you Mm. do your own flourishes? Whatever. But she talks about having mentors and teachers in the past. She said some of her teachers gave her what you would call tough love, which she would just call tough. She says she has an issue with a lot of, a lot of like toxic teaching methods, which just made me go back to acting theater. I didn't go to to theater school, but I have a lot of friends who did. I have a friend who said that during a rehearsal once her teacher and director had everyone leave and locked her in the theater until she started crying and having a panic attack so that she could fully understand the emotion that she needed to get to on stage. I'm like, oh boy. I hate when people think that trauma is is tapping into something. Mm-hmm. Like I I get trying to go like, there you're mentally. Just, you're just being manipulative. You're just manipulating someone. You're just wielding your power. Yeah. An influence and influence to abuse them into doing what you think is best for them. Yeah. Well, and, and it's this weird because it was, I mean, it was a male teacher, of course. I think it's a weird kind of ego thing. Like, I, I have an issue with method acting now and not method acting, but what it's turned into because it has just turned into a giant pissing contest with all these guys being like, well, I can starve myself harder and like, I'm not going to yeah. eat a fake buffalo heart, Leonardo DiCaprio. They'll know it's not real. No, it's called acting. And there's a certain point where if you can't do the thing without going fucking crazy, that's not acting then. And I don't think yeah. actors need to put trauma on themselves in order to give a good performance. I know that sometimes you go to dark places and whatnot, and that's I get that. But this idea that you need to you need to be harm like, yourself yeah. emotionally and physically in order to give a good performance. I think it's so toxic. It's so unhealthy. She doesn't talk about that. That's my own kind of interpretation from acting. But it is interesting that she talks about the way that she was taught and how she had a problem with it. She's like, well, I did it. I, I learned from them and I, you know, got through it. But I don't want to berate someone in front of everyone over and over and over telling them how bad they are that they're not doing it right because that makes you feel bad I want to motivate and encourage and I think there's a difference I mean there definitely is a difference but I feel like most of the time people think oh it's just like 
hippy dippy kumbaya. No, like you can be like stern and like, I need something from you and do this thing, like draw something out of someone without being like, you're a worthless piece of shit. No one loves you. You can, you can set expectations and like push someone to do maybe more than they, than they think that they're capable of without literally tearing them apart in the process. Yeah. Um, Build, build on what is there. Don't, tear them down and then be like here are the cornerstones and the foundation blocks that I think you need yeah and I mean and I I I had a lot of coaches and teachers like teachers that I think you can be hard on someone to a certain extent but you don't need to be like making people cry and traumatizing them and and she just she knows that she's an educator first and when she was talking about like her education and like her devotion to like leadership and bringing the best out of people it made me realize that like the conductor it i mean that's what she studied essentially music education she's the leader of them i don't know i feel like when i think of conductors it's usually just like i'm in charge stay on time whatever but you really have to know each member of your ensemble draw them out make them work to get your coaching your coaching and She's just, she's just a badass. And I watched videos of her conducting the San Francisco Philharmonic. Uh, while she does that job, she also also teaches at a private high school that's got like a really prestigious program. And she, there's a video of her doing a, she's a guest conductor. It says at BMMS, Black Mountain Middle School. Um, I'm guessing that's in Wyoming. And she's like talking to the kids and she's like, this is where I'm from. Uh, this is what I do. I've been all over the world conducting, like music can take you places, yada, da, da, da. Kind of being like, I did this, y'all can do it. And it's like a middle school orchestra. I'm just looking around <laughs> and I don't know. I just have such low expectations for children with instruments, especially violins. I've just heard such bad screeching. Oh, no. So, but she's like, I'm taking this seriously. I'm like doing the, you know, that kind of where they stand up tall right before they start conducting. And then she says, all right, we're going to start at measure 80 FFF. That's really loud. That means that's, it's not fortissimo, but it's, it means you play it at the loudest you possibly can. She's like, give it all you got. And then she like does her first like downward swoop. And there's just this huge noise. And like the orchestra is really good. And like the violinists are fucking shredding. And I was like, okay, I'm an asshole. But either way, I'm the problem. Either way, I love that she, she was like, I'm conducting a professional orchestra. Like that's like how she was treating the kids. That's how she was going into it. It was really cool to see that. And she, we, we also love a living history moment. I love a living history moment. And so I, Wanted to do a female conductor and I kind of Googled like list of female conductors. Like, where do I start? I know that there will be a finite list because patriarchy. And there's a lot of, there's women in further back history, but this was just, I just thought she was really cool that she's doing it now that she's making history. Like I said, there's still a lot of glass on the ceiling for female conductors. So then I looked up some statistics the highest paid female conductor is Marin Alsup. She conducts for the Baltimore Symphony. She is the first female conductor hired at Baltimore Symphony ever. And it's the first time they've paid 
anyone seven figures for that job. She gets paid over a million dollars. They've never paid anyone, let alone a, a little woman. She's like the highest paid female conductor. She's of the top 10 highest paid conductors currently living, which is pretty impressive. Get it. Get, Get it, girl. Get it, Marin. Jessica Bejarano talks a lot about being gay and coming out and whatnot. And there's this, there's this article where she's in an interview. <laughs> she goes... When I find when I found out Tchaikovsky was gay, and I was like, "Wait, what?" I stopped everything. I was like, "Wait, Tchaikovsky was gay?" And then I, was like, I have to, I I have to do a side Google. <laughs> um, yeah, she just like brings it up right in the beginning, but uh, it it just made me laugh that I stopped everything. I was like, "I need to know. I need to know about this now." But that that was a barrier for her because I don't know. It's a barrier. The mm-hmm. way she looks, the way she presents herself, her very like the way she lives her life. It's like we don't want you swirling a baton in front of people because only straight white dudes can do that, apparently. Yeah. Preferably with crazy wild hair. The wildest hair. The maybe wildest a bow tie. Hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I think uh, female conducting is super important, super cool. No one knows anything about it because there's just not a lot going on. And... Women in classical music right now, there's so much disparity. And we don't think about classical music in the present, which... Yeah, I was going to say, I think that there's also just like a, from a mainstream Mm -hmm. awareness perspective, a very limited knowledge of classical music and also like a pretty limited, uh, a pretty limited recognition and respect for for conductors. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm both of us coming in hot with ladies who are just like, I will wield the weapon of my choice. (laughs) Be it a sword or a baton. And you cannot stop me. I have things to do. I can't, I cannot be troubled with being a little housewife, which like no disrespect to housewives, but these ladies had other things that they had others, very specific things that they both wanted to do. Like killing orcas. Also, I forgot to mention, um, Jessica conducts all of her performances on the head of a war elephant. So I can't, I can't believe I, I can't believe I'm I left sorry. that out. I'm so sorry. I feel so but silly. Please tell me about her clog collection. <laughs> How luxurious are oh, her clogs? Ivory. Ivory. Ivory clogs. <laughs> I, man, we're coming in, we're coming to this season hot. What? Hot. I'm so excited. What a, so we had, uh, Lady Chu, who may or sorry, Lady Lady Zhu, who may or may not have exi- she existed. It's just like may or may, and then somebody who it's like we we know the narrative because it's still unfolding around. She's us. telling so, us from her own person. Yeah, <laughs> very different. And yet, were they that different? Are they that different? And I'm so excited for this season, y'all. You guys have and no idea. We we've I mentioned earlier we've had some wonderful eager guests we're still we're obviously still recording this season but because we've recorded so many of our guest episodes i can give we can give you a little little teasy tease and we can tell you that we have what do we have we have we have academics we have playwrights we have screenwriters we have actors we have activists we have scots we have have scots (laughs) 
we uh, to that end we have our first international guests uh more than one it's it's just such an exciting season they've we've loved all of our guests but we're just always excited to grow the shared history family and we can't wait to share these episodes and these guests with you and their stories and i mean I'm having a sincere and heartfelt moment. I know it's not what you guys expect from me, but it's so exciting to be in season four. At the time that we're like recording this and releasing, beginning to release this season, we basically started recording Shared History two years ago, like around this time of year. Mm -hmm. I think it may have been February. And so it's just so wild to be on season four. So wild that we've recorded so much of it. via zoom these days um but that has uh, that has had its merits in opening the doors and letting us have uh guests in very different time zones so and this season is very indicative of that i think i think we've recorded with one local to either of us local guests local time zone (laughs) yeah one one central time zone guest this whole time so we hope you enjoyed our our season premiere um as always please go rate and review on apple podcasts if you never had an ipad ipod and never had an itunes account i bet you know somebody who does i bet you know somebody who has an iphone and every time they text you it says like emphasized such and such text or so and so liked such and such text it drives me insane and they yell at you for having the green bubbles that's how dare i (laughs) Tell them to re- tell them to leave a review on your behalf. That what are friends for if not <laughs> reviewing your favorite podcasts for you? Uh, it really helps tremendously. It really helps other people find the podcast, and you know it helps us feel good about ourselves when we're in the middle of a global health crisis. We need it. <laughs> we just need like a little bit of serotonin, just. A little bit of like serotonin and dopamine right into my veins, please. If you guys need some serotonin and dopamine right into your veins from your eyeballs, we are going to have so many visuals for this episode. And I will be posting seasons, a video of Jessica conducting. Hundo P. Hundo one. P. Absolutely. And a video of and Lady a video of Lady Shoe. I don't mm-hmm. want to go anywhere if I'm not riding on the head of a war elephant and I'm kind of mad that that's not a form of transportation available to me. Um, but you'll be able to see all of those things on our social medias, on Instagram and Twitter, at SharedPod. And as always, uh, please, we welcome your questions. Your We welcome your corrections. And we always welcome your suggestions of stories you want us to, to tell on uh, on future episodes. We'd love to hear it. You can send those to us via email at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. You can also DM us and be like, Natalie, you can't pronounce Vietnamese names. And I'm, I will, I try, I try, I, I try. Uh, but we, we welcome it all. Welcome to season four, BBs. And as always, share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at Arcade.